Excellent. Um, as I said earlier, so exciting to, to have uh, Wendy and Ollie with us. Uh, I actually had the pleasure of, uh, of living with these guys for a year, a uh, year before I got married to Polly. Um, so uh, I know these guys very well. Uh, it's too well, almost. Uh, they, they <laughs> Ollie's threatening to tell stories about me, but I've got plenty about him. Um, uh, they were basically like parents to me for a year, uh, so it was great to be a part of their family. Uh, and yeah, we're just so I'm so grateful that uh, they're here. Uh, Wendy's going to speak to us from from Samuel this morning, carrying on our series on that. Uh, but yeah, let's just just give her another really warm welcome, really good Seaford welcome, shall we? Over to you, Wendy. Good morning. Hello. Um, Ollie and I had the great pleasure of going to New Day this year after I haven't been for six years, and it was just I mean, sun, last Sunday. I was knocked out. I just couldn't wake up. I was so tired. But it was just amazing. Like, so good seeing the youth work team on all sites there and all the youth just going for it. It was just so exciting. So, as Wilco said, as we call him, uh, yeah, please speak to the youth. Find out their stories because they just had so many amazing stories to share. And I just love the theme this morning of like God provides, like I didn't know about your story MZZ and, and some of the other stories, it's just so exciting and if you're here today and thinking well God hasn't provided for me, like just cling on to these promises that God do- is a God who does provide and is a God who's faithful and today we're going to be looking at the story of Hannah through um, 1 Samuel and she is somebody who God provided for as well and it's just great knowing about someone that long ago in history to now, God is still faithful and still providing. So, um, anyone know what the name Hannah means? Anyone, anyone called Hannah here? I don't know many of you. Anyone called Hannah? You're not called Hannah. <laughs> One of your many names. Um, well, the name Hannah means favour of God. And I know quite a few Hannahs um, over at Centro. And all of them are just people that I think, yeah. That sums up them pretty well. And if I'd known this, maybe when we had our little girl called Pippa, I might have named her Hannah instead, because you think, why not? That's her favour of God. Um, but does anyone know what my name means? I'm Wendy. Anyone know what my name means? Nothing. <laughs> it just means nothing. It's originally created by the author of Peter Pan. And in baby book after baby book, people will try and make up some other meaning. But Wendy basically has no meaning. <laughs> But I'll tell you a very exciting story. Last year, I went to an African baby shower, and one of the starters was, what does your name mean? (laughs) What is it in full length, Um, and where you come from? And it sort of got to this one lady from Africa, somewhere in Africa, and she was called Wendy. And I said to her, well, that's not your real name. What is your real name? And she said, no, it's Wendy. And I said, gosh, you must, your parents must have struggled going back to Africa and being like, what's the meaning? no meaning. And she was like, yeah, they really did. Um, So they just made up a meaning. (laughs) And I said, what's the meaning? And it was made in London, because that's where she was conceived. (laughs) So I've taken on the African meaning. So when anyone ever asks me now, what does your name mean? Made in London, which is actually true as well. I'm from London. So (laughs) it's good to know that names all have meanings. Um, So, I'm going to be starting reading through 1 Samuel 1, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 1 and a bit of chapter 2. I've broken it up to three different applications of things I felt that I've learned through the story of Hannah, and hopefully you will do today. They are that when you're hit with tragedy, take it to God first. 
Second, honor promises. And thirdly, discover God who is a role reverser, a life changer. So first thing we're going to look at is when we're hit with tragedy, when horrible times come, rather than doing all the other things we might do, we need to honestly go to prayer. Now, hands up very honestly, I have struggled to read 1 verse 1. So when I did this at Centro and at King's, I basically just started on verse 2. But I know that Martin's up next week and he's very kindly offered to read it for me. So that become Martin. So if you'd like to read um, 1 Samuel 1, 1 to 18 for me, is that all right? No laughing when he doesn't know how to pronounce half of these strange names. I won't correct you. Just, I always thought, say, say it with confidence and no one's going to correct you, right? <laughs> um, so I'm going from 1 to 18, yeah? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, son of Ephrathite. <laughs> <laughs> he had two wives. The name of the one... Uh, the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penaniah. And Penaniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. At Shiloh, uh, where the two sons of Eli, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penaniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, uh, though, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house uh, of, of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in, in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the price, uh, priest, was sitting on the, on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all, uh, for all along I have been speaking out my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said to him, And she said, let your servant find favour in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Thank you. He did it so much better than I would have done. 
Okay, so we introduced her, um, a character in the Bible called Hannah, and we find out that she is barren. And back in that time, when people were barren, it was looked upon as a curse from God that they couldn't um, make the gen- you know make their family keep growing, um, and it was just stopped. And people would often look at them in a certain way. Um, so she was going through a time where she felt a little bit insecure. People were looking at her like, oh, Hannah hasn't had children. And um, she couldn't help her husband further the family line. So she was in a bit of a place where, you know, that's probably enough to get you feeling a bit sad and feeling a bit low. But also she had a competition person, another wife. And Peninai, and her name means a coral sharp edge. And she lived up to her name. She was nasty. She provoked Hannah the whole way they were going to the temple to give their offering yearly to God. They, she would nitpick and laugh at her and say, oh, look, I've got all the children. Where's your children? Where's your God? And she probably felt at this stage just a bit fed up, like, I can't have kids. This woman's just winding me up and being really mean to me. I'm not sure what's going on. She's going through a bit of a hard time. Yet in the story of Hannah, you don't hear her retaliating back, getting really angry and being like, well, you know. Um, you didn't hear her getting really, getting attacking and moaning and whinging and going on and on. Instead, you just hear somebody who goes and weeps to God. And she cries to God, so much so that this man thinks she's drunk because she's just there hysterically in the temple crying. And she's a woman who is longing after a baby, longing for something to give her her identity at the time, but probably something that, you know, just a, a heartfelt, I would like a child. And yet she, rather than goes and moans about it and goes this way, she chooses to trust God and says to God, if you give this to me, if you remember me, I will give it to you. And when I read this story, I thought, how quickly can we be people who really want things, whether it's good or bad reasons, to fit in, to not feel lonely, even godly desires such as wanting a child. But actually, rather than going to God first, we might just try fixing it ourselves or go and do all the things to try and make the problem solved rather than trusting God and giving it to God. Sometimes when tragedy happens and life gets hit and we're thinking, oh, this is really hard, where do you take it? Do you, on social media, vent off and moan about everything? Do you try and fix it in your own hands or even hide? And some people can hide literally from God. They'll go away and think, I can't deal with this and just shut down. And we need to be people like Hannah who take it to God in prayer, who say, I'm going to trust you. This situation looks bleak. I don't know the time frame. I don't know when it's going to fix, but I'm choosing to trust you no matter what. The next thing to learn from Hannah is how she honoured her promise and how we should honour promises that we make to God. So I'm going to carry on from verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house of Ramai, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man, Alcani, and all his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. 
Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull and an alpha of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord of Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in front of you, in, in, in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made it to him. Therefore, I've lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So she went home, she laid with her husband, and in due time she became pregnant. Just as a sort of brackets thing, there are so many stories, and even like the stories we heard today, there are great stories where God provides and God answers prayer, but it isn't always in our time frame. Like MZZ went to uni last year, I don't know when you realized God provided and you had money, but sometimes you don't, it's when you look back and think, God provided, or sometimes it isn't in our time frame. And there's so many stories in the Bible where God answers and God heals and God saves and God restores, but it doesn't tell us how long they had to wait. We don't know how long Hannah had to wait until she had her first child, but she was waiting with God. We don't know why it says in the Bible that her womb was closed, why God chose to do that, but he allowed her to have a child now, and he gave her a son, which she called Samuel. Now, if I was Hannah, I'd made this vow, oh, please, God, give me a son. And then I got pregnant and had a son. I probably would try everything I could to get out of that, that deal I'd made with God. Be like, oh, but God, like, he's so lovely and he's half me. And, like, maybe I could keep him. What about God? If rather than giving him to the temple to serve you all his life... Like, maybe, like, when he's 18, he could do a gap year? Or, like, what about if I just promise every morning I'll get up at 7, sit and read the Bible? Surely that's enough. I don't really need to follow that through, do I? And I'd probably try and, like, you know, really deal with God, hoping he'll be like, yeah, sure, that's fine, off you go. Or another interesting bit, back in Deuteronomy, there's lots of laws the people of the land had to follow. And one of them was if a woman, a wife, made a vow before the Lord... If the husband denied it, it'd be cancelled. Now, if I knew that, which a lot of people back then would have read and been clued up on their law, I might have gone up to Ollie and been like, Ollie, um, so I made this vow with God, but like, how much better would it be if your son was at home and like, he could, you could learn from him, you're going to be such a great dad, this is our first child, what if God gives me no more children and this is it? And like, all you need to do is just say it's not true. Like my, my, it's void. My vow doesn't count. Come on. You're such an amazing man. Wouldn't it be great to have an amazing son right there next to you? And like, you know, like the law said, if he denied it, that'd be it. I'd definitely be trying some of this. <laughs> um, just to try. And also at the time, Eli, the priest, his sons were doing a bit of wheeler dealing bad stuff and not following the Lord. And then you could totally go to God and be saying, look, I promise to give him to you. But that priest, his sons, are not following you and do not love you. So how are they going to be good role models? Like, surely the situation's changed now from that promise I made with you. Why don't we just do something different? Or I just keep him until Eli's sons go off and someone else turns up. What about that? 
But instead, Hannah didn't do any of these things. She, she made a promise of God, and she followed it through and said, okay, I will, I will choose to give Samuel joyfully. And as you read, as we look through the next part of Hannah's prayer, she, she is just full of joy that God remembered her and God answered her, rather than like the sacrifice of having to choose to give her, her little boy away. And this got me thinking, because um, at the moment, Ollie and I, are try- well, I've got a couple of holidays lined up, and I'm a teacher, so we're not allowed time off during school time. Um, but I really need this one day off. And everybody was saying to me, just do a sickie, just do a sickie. Who would care? And the truth is, probably no one would care. We've got enough cover supervisors, someone would come in. It'd all be fine. But I, there's something in me that just thought, no, when I signed my contract as a teacher, I said, this is what I'm doing. These are the hours I'm doing. I'm signing up to do this. And actually, me doing a sickie is just breaking a promise that I've said to my head, this is what I'm doing. And so it's, it's not working out at the moment, but we'll see how that situation goes. Um, but actually, like, it's so easy to promise something, to sign a work contract or sign a marriage agreement, to sign something, a friendship, you know, you oh, I promise I'll be there or I won't let you down. And then when the situation arises, how, how easy is it to break those promises? Maybe not fully, you know, we'll sort of wheel a deal and sort of, not quite do what we said, or it's okay, no one's looking if I just do that. But actually, I think Hannah's really challenged me, and hopefully you today, that as Christians, we should be people who want to honor our promises. In a world where people are breaking promises all the time, I promise I'll be married to you for life, and I don't want to do no more. And there's non-stop breaking promises everywhere. Like, let's be a people who stick by our word. When they know they want to say something over us, we're people who are people who stick by our word, who don't break promises like Hannah. She was in a situation where actually, justly, she could have probably haggled with God about the situation with Eli and his sons. Or the vow, she could have spoke to her husband. But she didn't. She chose to follow her promise and trust God along the way. The last thing I'd like you to discover about Hannah is how she discovered that God was a great reverser. So I'm just going to read 1 Samuel 2, 1 to 3. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like the Lord. Um, Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bowels of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind in strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shill and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honour. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and in them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Alcanah went home to Ramai, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. 
So the first bit of her prayer, all she does is exalt God. She says, God is holy. God is faithful. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. Just as a little side note, do we start our prayers like that? I know when I'm driving to work, it's normally like, yeah, can you just look after me today? Can I have a couple of good conversations about you? And I forget to stir up my excitement and who God is. Like, yeah, God's this. Um, No matter what we're going through, declaring the joy of the Lord, getting our hearts really knowing who God is, is a good, good way to start praying. And as she goes through the prayer, I've noticed there are six different ways that she has just seen or knows or is aware that God is this great reverser. In verse 4, it talks about a military. So like USA being defeated by like a little Iceland or somewhere, like it's somewhere big is going to get totally wiped out and destroyed by this little tiny thing that's going to rise up. In verse 5, it talks about people hungry suddenly being full. In verse 5, again, it talks about the barrenness being fulfilled. And it talks about the number seven. And at first, I was like, wow, she had seven children. She actually had three boys and two girls extra, so she had six. But seven in the Bible is one of those numbers that's worth just knowing that means fullness. So she's gone from barrenness into completeness, into fullness. Verse 6 Death transformed into life. Verse 7, poverty transformed into riches. And verse 8, shame transformed into honor. So this is a story about a barren woman who's given a promised child who anoints the nation's king, King David. Hannah prayed about this God, the reverser. And she experienced some of that. She knew what it was to be barren and suddenly being fulfilled and having children. But in her time, she only started to see a little bit, a glimpse of who this God was. Her son Samuel went on and started seeing more and more of God's transformations. And some of you, as I was reading this prayer, might have thought, oh, this sounds familiar to a prayer I've read in the New Testament by a lady called Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. Another woman who joyfully accepted her situation and trusted God for the outcome. And when you compare both prayers, they're very, very similar. That story began a thousand years after Hannah's by a lady called Elizabeth who was in a similar situation. She was a barren woman who was given a promised child, John the Baptist, who anoints the way for the king. But this king has an eternal frame. This is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So we start to understand how Jesus has come to be a life changer, to throw lives upside down. Hannah started to see a bit of God as the role reverser. Us now, a thousand years on, or a bit more than that now, um, we can start seeing how Jesus has come and actually just completely changed everything. So the military, in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about Jesus how he's come and abolished the enemy. There is no enemy. When we feel we're going through hard things, it's been destroyed. We're on the winning side of Jesus. Hunger. Jesus said that he was the bread of life. Anyone who comes to him shall not hunger. Barrenness. Jesus talks about it no longer being a curse, but also just when you feel like your life is just empty and there's nothing, there's no purpose, Jesus has come to give you life and life to the full, full of purpose. Dead. Jesus rose many people to life in the Bible when he was around, but also he's ultimately destroyed death. 
the resurrection has changed everything and he's been transformed. Poverty, Jesus has changed lives. He lo- people who are lost and lonely have been transformed with hope, joy and freedom. And shame, stories where Jesus befriended the lepers, the tax collectors, the outsiders, and he loved them and he welcomed them and he asked for them to come and receive new life. So a God who is a great reverser is what Hannah had discovered. Her horn, she said, was lifted high. She was delivered from a place where she was disgraced to a position of honor, being able to give her child away, knowing that he was going to be used. And as we look through the story of Samuel, you'll see how he played a massive part in history into God's plan. From verse 10, Hannah's prayer takes a little bit of a different slant, and it's described as prophetic, as it anticipates a kingship and a realization of this messianic ideal in David. Something of a David is going to be coming again that we now know as Jesus. The word anointed in this verse, translated into the Greek, not that I'm a Greek scholar, but these sort of things are sometimes interesting when you realize the translations just got lost slightly, um, means Christos. And in English, this is where our word Christ comes from. So without even realizing it, a thousand years before Jesus came, Hannah's here doing a prayer, praying and prophetically saying, this someone's going to be coming, somebody, Jesus is going to be coming, who's going to be an eternal king, who David's coming, but you wait, this guy's going to be everlasting and eternal. And this excites me because it shows you that God always has a plan. The whole Bible points to a need for a saviour, a great reverser, a rescuer, and, and that person was Jesus, and that was always God's plan. Jesus is there all the way through the Old Testament. He was never not there, um, and it's really exciting. So if you're feeling like you're just losing a battle at the moment and you're being attacked, Jesus has come to be your strength. If you're empty and you're hungry, Jesus has come to never make you feel hungry again, to fulfill all your needs. If you are barren, if you just feel life hasn't amounted to much, you've lost purpose, you're broken, you maybe don't feel remembered, feel forgotten, Jesus has come to complete you, to answer you, to remember you, to make you faithful and fruitful. If you are lost and you feel like you've just gone away from God, got stuck in sin, Jesus has come and he's conquered death. He's defeated the grave. He's brought you new life. If you are broke, poor, Jesus has come to give you abundantly more, as we've heard this morning. If you are full of shame or regret, Jesus has come and taken away your shame and your guilt. He's, take, he's, chose, he's not only just taken that away, but he's then chose to seat you at the right hand. He wants to turn your life upside down today. So if you're a Christian here today, all these things have already happened. Just like Hannah, we're not living in the full completeness of this yet. But what truth should we stand on? And we live, unlike Hannah, after Jesus, where we can see that he has come and he has risen and he has given us that eternal hope. It needs to be personal. I think you need to get real with God today. The thing I really like about Hannah she didn't just be like, oh, I haven't had a baby. Oh, everything's fine. She went and she weeped to God. She was honest with God. I think today it'd be like, you know, I love all the contributions today. It was about being a child of God and just being 
vulnerable and being exposed. And I think that's what God loves us when we come to him. Rather than with all our shields up saying, nope, I can't let anything in. Letting it down saying, God, I'm here. I'm struggling with this or help me with this or just give me strength for this or I'm loving you. I want more of you. Give me more. Rather than just seem like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Woo. Like, you know, get, get real with God. Be like Hannah. Be someone who says, no, I want it. I really want to know you, God. I want to get in there. And whatever your dreams are, whatever your situation, whether you're in that waiting time or that good time, We need to fix our eyes on this great reverser, the great provider, Jesus Christ. Hannah lived in a time when they were waiting for a king and they are waiting for a saviour. We are now living after that time when Jesus has come. We need to have so much joy and so much hope in this God who has come and transformed things. When Hannah was hit with tragedy, she went honestly in prayer to God. She honoured her promises to God. And Hannah joyfully prayed to a God that she knew was a great reverser that had transformed her situation, that he was her only hope and her rescuer. And my challenge for you today is that you'll just be a little bit more like Hannah. So um, I just think it'd be really nice if everyone liked to just stand up. And there was one day at New Day where it just wasn't the quick everyone down the front and it was all like the big whoop whoop it was just silent and people just meeting with God where they were in their place and I just feel like it's a thing with it's a relationship with you and Jesus this morning and I just love to pray but even before John strums I just in the quietness of this hall just just allow yourself to take your guards down and allow yourself to be honest with God and allow God to meet with you now thank you father that you are our hope, that whatever's going on, that we know that truth, that you are holy, you are faithful, you are our God who is our great reverser. And you hear us and you remember us and you listen and you love to give your children gifts. You love to answer prayers. You love to walk with us and be with us. I pray, Holy Spirit, will you just come now We come and allow people in this silent time to come and meet with you, to know that love, that joy over them. If people don't know you today, let them be able to just speak to someone, to know that you are God, that you are the best thing, you are life to the full, you are worth living for, you're everything, God's.